All right, here to continue our Advent series is none other than Danny Meyer. Good morning. As Michael said, we're sort of halfway through our Advent series talking about not just the, the, the meaning of Christmas and preparing our hearts for that, but really looking at what it is that we are celebrating, that it's not just a, a holiday that, that uh, has some, some religious significance, but we are looking at the ushering in of God's presence and God's kingdom from heaven into earth and the, the results of, of his presence, his kingdom coming, the love and the joy and the peace, the hope that, it, that Jesus delivered. Now today I'm going to be talking about the topic of, of peace, how to find peace in a, in a world that sometimes seems to be falling apart. The, uh, you know, I, I was looking on the internet this week and it, it seems that every indicator shows that the, uh, the culture that we live in is increasing in, in stress and in anxiety. There's, there's such an increase in, in the, the prescriptions of uh, medication that can help with anxiety and, and uh, with panic attacks. Google says there's searches for topics of how do I find peace, how do I deal with anxiety, has doubled over the last year or two. There's an increase of, of various kinds of, of addictions as people are either trying to cope with the stress of living in this, in this world that is sort of an incubator for, for anxiety or trying to, to numb themselves so they don't have to, don't have to, to be pressed down by the effect of, of anxiety and, and, and distress. Now, I, I hope that, that I'm speaking to a, a group today who recognize just how anxiety-provoking this world is, whether we're talking about uh, financial situations, relational situations, career issues, family issues, marital issues. We, do you all recognize that, we, that there's a, a heightening, there's an increase of, of anxiety, of pressure in this world today? Liar, liar, pants on fire, you do so. And I want, I want us to leave today with some understanding of how we can deal with it, but deal with it biblically. And, and I, actually, I, I found a video that, I, that personally I think probably says it all, and maybe I'll just sit down after this video because it really is, is so tremendously helpful. Why, why don't, Greg, why don't we put that first video up? I got no leg room back here. Move your seat forward. It's as far as it goes. There's a mechanism. You just pull it and throw your body weight. I pulled it. It doesn't go. If you want the leg room, say you want the leg room. Don't blame the mechanism. All right, Dad, we're five blocks from the house. Sit sideways. Like an animal. Because of her, I have to sit here like an animal. Serenity now. Serenity now. What is that? Doctor gave me a relaxation cassette. When my blood pressure gets too high, the man on the tape tells me to say, Serenity now! Are you supposed to yell it? The man on the tape wasn't specific. <laughs> what happened to the screen door? It blew off again? I told you to fix that thing. Serenity now! <clears throat> you may want to try that. I, <laughs> I was reading also uh, the columnist Dave Barry. He, he wrote, he, my, th my therapist just told me the way to true inner peace is to finish what I start. He goes on to say, so far today I finished two bags of M&Ms and a chocolate cake, and I'm feeling better already. And then just yesterday, I was, I was looking on the internet on this topic of, of dealing with anxiety, finding inner peace, and, and one person, honestly, they, they said, what you need to do is Stand in front of a mirror every morning when you get up, buck naked. Look at yourself and say, hello, gorgeous. I want you to know I try that. It, don't even bother that. That's no way that works. But what we need to realize is what we are celebrating as we approach Christmas, as we prepare ourselves for Christmas, is 
really the, the answer for how we walk through a world falling apart and find peace, not because the circumstances may be peaceful, not because everything is lining up as we wish, but there's, there is something that can be done. There's a way in which we can walk and which we can live that can bring peace in this world. In fact, the message of Christmas is at its core a message, a message of, of peace. So we're going to jump in today. We're going to start just as, as Andrew began last week in Luke chapter 2, verses 8 through, uh, well, 8 through 11 to begin with. And in Luke chapter 2, it says this. And there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. Now, I, I, Penny and I have had the, the, the blessing of being able to travel to Israel a few times now. And, and I want you to understand that when it talks about the, this shepherd's field, it's not talking about a field like we have out behind the building here. It's not talking about a, a large football field. It's talking about an area that, that we saw that is enormous. It's, it's really larger than, than Sunbury itself. It's, it's miles long. It's a valley surrounded by heel, hills on both sides. And in fact, I think I have, I have that slide. Greg, put that first slide up. This is the, the shepherd's field in Israel. You can see there are mountains on both sides. Uh, and then for miles, there, is the, there are these fields where in, in the first century, the shepherds would bring their flocks. And at any given time, there might be hundreds, there might be thousands of sheep there. There would be shepherds from various families and various sections in the community that would bring their flocks there, that, that, that would, would live there essentially with those, uh, the, the sheep. And what you, would, what you would find is this would be the area where all the shepherds would gather. And it says they were there this one particular night. And in verse 9, it says, I actually, I think I have a second picture that's a little bit more clear. This is, this is an artist's rendering. You can see and you can imagine what that must have looked like in the first century, where it would be filled with sheep and filled with groups of, of shepherds that would be tending to their sheep. But then in, in verse 9, it says, an angel of the Lord appeared to them. And the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. So on this one particular day, slicing into the monotony of, of the shepherd's life, an angel appeared to him. How that looked and how the, the angel was able to be seen by in, in such an expanse, I have no idea. Perhaps it was a large, large manifestation of, of this angel. But this, the angel appeared to them, and then the, there was a light that shone over the shepherds and over that, that valley. And verse 10, it says, But the angel said to them, Do not be afraid. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all the people. You get the idea that the angel was as excited as he wanted the, the shepherds to be. You know, don't be afraid. I'm bringing good news that's going to cause you to have great joy. And, and the shepherds were a class of individuals that needed something to pick them up. They were the lowest rung in the societal ladder. They were the, the poorest. They were the ones that didn't, weren't accepted in town. They were the, the, the outcast in the village. But the angel said, listen, I am bringing something that's going to bring you tremendous joy. Good news for you and all the people. But there was an assumption, and the assumption was that the shepherds understood, as they certainly did, that they were in need of something to bring joy. They were in need of something to bring peace into their situations. He goes on and says, today, in the town of David, which is just essentially the, the, the shepherd's field, this valley is right on the outskirts of, of, uh, of Bethlehem. Today, in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you, the Messiah, the Lord. A Savior is coming, uh, literally a, a rescuer is coming. 
And as I said before, one of the things that is an absolute necessity for the shepherds and for every single one of us is if it's going to be something that brings joy, if it's going to be something that is, is good news, we need to recognize our need to be rescued. We need to recognize that we are in a situation that we cannot climb out of. And, and unfortunately, I know in my life, and maybe you can relate to this, there, there are times where I think, I can figure it out. I can work this out. Even though there's stress and there's anxiety, whether it be financial or relational, or just the, the pressure of, of, of relationships and, and tension that can come, we as a people think, I'm going to work this out. I'm going to figure it out. I'm going to take care of things. And we don't recognize that how helpless we are. And therefore, we don't appreciate, don't appreciate the good news. But upon, upon this announcement that this angel brought, then all of a sudden, verse 13, suddenly a great company of heavenly hosts appeared with the angel, praising God. And when it says a great company, literally it's talking about not just another few dozen, but it's, it's a multitude. It implies as far as the eye can see as it looked up and down that valley in the sky in this massive, massive uh, area, all they could see are angels and angels and angels that had come and, and had appeared and wanted to be a witness of this event. There was a multitude of angels, of heavenly hosts that appeared, and they were praising God and saying glory to God in the highest. And on earth... Peace to those whom his favor rests. There is something going on that I want us to recognize the angels had been waiting for, had been anticipating for, for thousands and thousands of years, hundreds of thousands of years, that the angels were waiting to see this moment in history when God came to rescue when God came to restore, when God came to repair a broken, broken world. But unfortunately, all too often, we, we look at this story as some kind of, of, of sentimental moment. We, we, our, our mind goes to images that we see on, on Christmas cards, and, and isn't this sweet? And we have our, our, our scene, our manger scene in our living rooms at home where you see an angel and a peaceful Mary and, and Joseph or, or some shepherds with, with, their, with their flocks. This was a, a moment in history like no other. This was an announcement that the angels angels wanted to be present for. My, my hunch is, I'll find out when I get to heaven, but my hunch is that, that, that one angel came to make the announcement and the rest of the angels came before the throne and were saying, can we go too? And, and suddenly heaven emptied out and the angels just filled the sky as far as you could see because this, as I said, was a moment like no other. Because the angels recognized the import. They recognized the significance of what was, what was about to happen. See, this, this passage, this moment, is full of, of theological significance. And it's full of historical impact. And, and this passage, this historical event, only makes sense if we fully understand the, the context into the, the context in which the, these angels made this announcement, the context of, a, of the kingdom of God, the reign and rule of God slicing into earth. Now, we're going to take a moment and we're going to all become theologians. We're going to, we're going to look for a second at the, the theology of the kingdom of God because it's only in that context, only through the lens of God's kingdom, does the, the Christmas story make any sense at all. 
You remember in, in Genesis, and this is something familiar, and I'll, I'll go through it quickly, but in, in Genesis chapter uh, 1 and 2, there was perfect communion between Adam and Eve and God. God walked with them in the garden. Adam and Eve got along perfectly. There was one will in the universe, and it was God's will. And Adam and Eve's heart was to, to please God and walk in his ways. And then all of a sudden, what we find is rather than fulfilling the call on their lives, on Adam and Eve's lives, which was to, to rule and subdue this earth, to essentially bring this world, this creation, in which Adam and Eve were, were placed, to bring it underneath God's ultimate rule. That they were to rule and subdue that under his ultimate authority bringing his good and gracious will from heaven to earth. But then in chapter 3, all of a sudden we see rebellion take place. And Adam and Eve sinned. They rebelled against God. They exerted their will in opposition to God's will. And something in that moment shattered and was fractured and all of a sudden the unity between Adam and Eve and God the unity that Adam and Eve had with one another the the unity and the and the the peacefulness that Adam and Eve experienced in their own heart and soul was broken there was a breaking of relationship something had happened the scriptures say that that sin brings death. It brings a breaking of relationship. When sin entered the world, there was a, a, a separation. There was a death between Adam and Eve and God. There was a separation between Adam and Eve and each other. And there was a breaking within. And this is something that we all recognize. Every single one of us see that as, as good as our relationship is with God, it, there is something that, that can get in the way. There is something that can cause, even, in our, in, even if we're, we're a follower of Christ, that pulls us to our own desires and away from God's desires. We see a breaking in relationships with other human beings, and each of us understand this, this friction within, this anxiety, if you will, within us, where we're, we're, we're not even pleased and at peace with ourselves and with our own desires. And it's in this situation that this announcement was made. But there was a, there was a fracture that needed to be restored. And in that moment when sin entered the world, Satan, who was a fallen angel, all of a sudden was be, began to be referred to as the ruler of this world. Adam and Eve, who were called to, to rule and reign, forfeited that role to Satan. And he became the ruler of this world. So you can picture the angels in heaven seeing and observing what had happened, the breaking of relationship, the deadness that came into this world, the alienation between humanity and their God. Not that God ever turned his back on Adam and Eve, but they turned their back on him and went their own direction. We could see how the angels were waiting to see, how is God going to fix this? How is he going to restore this? Recognizing that God has to be true to his own character. And they knew that God is love. And he loved his creation. He loved humanity. They were the passion of his heart. But they also knew in God's character was perfect justice. That, and, and that the penalty of, of sin and, and rebellion is death, is separation. So the angels waited to see how is God going to fulfill his perfect love and also be perfectly just. So on this night in Shepherd's Field, when the angel came and said, oh, you, don't be afraid because I come with good news. It's about to happen. 
God is going to restore what was lost in the garden. And that's the message of, of Christmas. The friction between God and ourselves, the friction between humanity, the friction within ourselves is about to be restored. The enmity, the battle in all three of those directions was going to be addressed. Listen to, listen to what Paul says in Romans chapter 5 as he explains not only the condition, but what God did, what the angel was announcing. In Romans chapter 5, verse 1, it says, since we have been justified, essentially what he, Paul is saying, since we've been made just as if we hadn't sinned, since we've been justified, how? Through faith, not through our good works. We've been justified through faith. We have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. He goes on to say, but God demonstrates his own love for us. He fulfills his, his innate desire to love his people, to love you, regardless of your situation, regardless of whether you're, whether you're doing well or not well at any given time. He demonstrates his love for us that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Not when we showed that we deserved it or we earned that payment. Of, of God being our substitute, of suffering in our place. But while we were still in our rebellion, God does what is necessary to restore our relationship with him. Essentially, he, he starts, he establishes a, a new covenant, just what we celebrated when we took communion today, a, a new treaty between God and man, a treaty of peace, ending the rebellion or the penalty of separation as a result of that rebellion. He goes on to say, since we have been justified by his blood, because if the penalty of sin is, is death, there has, to be, there has to be a payment. But instead of us dealing and paying for our own sin, our own rebellion, God himself stepped off the throne, came to earth, lived as a human being in a perfect way, and said, I will lay my life down as a substitute for your rebellion. And he chose to do this even while we were still in our sin, even while we were still in that rebellious state. Since we have been justified by his blood, by his life, how much more shall we be saved from God's wrath through him? The wrath that should have come on us because of our rebellion, Jesus took. For if while we were God's enemies, we were reconciled, while we were God's enemies going our direction, away from God, we were reconciled, we were brought back into a right relationship with God through the death of his son, how much more, having been reconciled, shall we be saved through his life? What Paul is talking about here is the manner in which God chose to restore what was lost in the garden. And this is the good news that the angels were announcing. This is what we celebrate in the birth of Jesus. That in this moment, at that time, what the angel was announcing is that God steps off the throne and comes as our substitute, takes the punishment due us upon himself. And if he's willing to do that, 
what an expectation of, of salvation in this life. That what was lost in the garden, a right relationship with God, a right relationship with others, and a peace within ourselves, that is being offered. A new covenant, a, a, a peace treaty, if you will, is being offered. You know, during, during the Second World War, my, uh, you know, I didn't live through the Second World War. My parents did. And one of the things that I, I, they used to talk about is how at that time, because the whole world was essentially at war, everything was affected by, by the war. What they were, ate, what food was available to purchase, what they could buy in stores, how they lived, what they did, the whole world was immersed in this conflict, in this battle. So you, they, they talked about how when the war ended, when peace came in Europe and peace came with Japan, it was, it was a monumentous event because of how the war affected everyone, how the conflict affected every family and every human being. Yeah, put that, that first slide up. This is a, a newspaper. When, when finally the, the war came to an end in, in Europe, it was just a shout throughout the whole world. There was victory in Europe. A treaty of peace was signed by Germany, by Italy. And then also in, in Japan, the next slide, the war was over. Everyone could relate. Everyone had a sigh of relief. The conflict, the hostility, and all the effect of that hostility, it had ended. This is what the angels were announcing in that, in that moment in the shepherd's field. The war is over. The conflict has ended. There is a treaty now between God's people who are in rebellion and God himself. A peace treaty signed with the blood of Christ. It's no wonder the angels wanted to, to be present for that announcement. They wanted to come and hear what, what the response in the shepherd's heart would be who were the lowest among the low, who were cast aside by the culture, weren't allowed in the, in the temple, at least not in the inner gates. The conflict has ended. The war is over. The kingdom of God, the reign and rule of God, his grace, his mercy, and his in initial purposes that he had for humanity was being restored. God was slicing in bringing his kingdom into this world. You can go ahead and take that down. But that's why John the Baptist, when he announced Jesus and his earthly ministry, what did he say? He said, repent, for the kingdom of God is at hand. Stop what you're doing. Pay attention. Listen. God's grace, his mercy, his purposes... His peace is at the door. It's at hand. And why was the kingdom of God at hand? Because the king was present. The prince of peace had come from heaven to earth. And Jesus went out and he preached the good news, the gospel of the kingdom. He sent the disciples to go and preach the gospel of the kingdom, to heal the sick. To open blind eyes. To restore those who are in bondage. To set, set captives free. That's what it looks like when God's kingdom, his purposes, begin to break into earth. That's what it looks like when you, we see what was the original intention of God in the garden before the fall begin to be reestablished. That's what we celebrate at Christmas time, his reign and his rule was coming back one life, one heart at a time. But the reality is this it's not fully restored yet, is it? 
We live in this, this interesting time of, of the already but the not yet, as some theologians refer to it. A time when the kingdom of God has come, but it won't come fully until Christ comes the second time. So there's peace to be had. There's joy to be had. There's a restoration that we see taking place, but not yet fully. There are people here today who have experienced healing in their bodies. But there are people here today who haven't. We, we see marriages being restored, relationships being repaired, but it's not yet perfectly come. We see people set free from, from addictions and inner demons, but not entirely. <clears throat> we live in this, this in-between time when the kingdom of God is coming but won't fully be realized until Jesus comes back a second time. And that's why Jesus took his disciples aside and in John 16, verse 33, he says, I've told you these things so that you may have peace. But in this world, you'll have trouble. Jesus recognized that it hadn't yet been fully restored. There's still brokenness in this world. But the kingdom of God is, is, is breaking in. We're seeing the grace and the mercy of God being peppered into this world. He says, in this world you'll have trouble, but take heart, because I've overcome the world. Because of this treaty of peace, because we, have, we, we now have peace with God, because there's a new covenant, because the sacrifice has been made by Jesus, because we have peace with God, we now in this life can experience the peace of God. Regardless of our circumstances. So how do we make it in this fall, fallen world? How do we find peace when the world is so broken? Well, listen to what Jesus said about that. Matthew 11 says, Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I'll give you rest. See, in this world, you'll have tribulation. In this world, there's still going to be trouble. You're going to experience it in relationships with others. You're going to experience, at times, even distance with God, though you needn't. You're going to experience that, that conflict within yourself but Jesus says, come to me, draw near to me, you who are weary, you who are burdened, you who are experiencing still some of the residue of that fall, of that brokenness, and I'll give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Those are Jesus' words to you as you're dealing with financial difficulties, relational stress, physical pain, relational breakdown. Jesus says to us, come, draw near to me when you are weary and burdened, and I'll give you rest. There is a constant invitation from that moment when the angels announced it in shepherd's the shepherd's field. There is a constant invitation into restored relationship, an invitation into intimacy, where there was once alienation between God and ourselves, not again because he turned his back on us, but because we turned away from him. God has provided a way, has offered this invitation, holds out this treaty of peace and says, you can draw near and find peace that goes beyond your circumstances. That's not necessarily to be found in your circumstances. 
a peace that's found in relationship with him, the Prince of Peace. You see, peace is a byproduct of being near Jesus. It's just the aroma of Christ. I remember when I was growing up, my grandmother wore a perfume that was, it was horrible. She must have liked it. But I mean, I would know when she's coming from a quarter of a mile away because I recognized that perfume. If she had been in a room within the last four or five months, I would know it. If somebody else was near her and then was near me, I would know you were with my grandmother, weren't you? There was an aroma of my grandmother. And there, was, there is an aroma of Christ that when we're near him, the aroma of Christ, the peace of Christ, just comes and can envelop us and take hold of us, regardless of the circumstances. And that's why he says, come to me. He doesn't say, learn this principle. He doesn't say, scream serenity now. He doesn't say, stand in front of a mirror and say, hello, gorgeous. He says, come to me. Because when you're close to me, when you're near me, there's a peace that comes from that connection. Walk with me. Go where I'm going. That's why he says, take on my yoke. Not so he can control us and prevent us from doing what we want, but so that we can walk with him and in that proximity of the Prince of Peace, we experience a peace regardless of our circumstances. The war is over. The, the treaty has been established. No alienation, no hostility. So we can draw near boldly at any time. Even if we find ourselves walking away, if we find ourselves once again because of that flesh within us, that sin nature that we still carry until he comes back a second time, calling and, and enticing us to go our own way, at any moment we could stop, we can turn around and once again draw near to him. Take on his yoke because his yoke is easy. And when we're walking with Jesus, where he's going, according to the, the gracious, merciful purposes that he has for us, oh, there's rest. There's rest. Put, put that, that first newspaper up again. See, when they, when they declared there's victory in Europe, the reason why it was such good news is because Germany quit. Germany said, uncle, we've had enough. And the allies, it says, accept unconditional surrender. You want to experience God's peace? Well, then come in and walk with him. Surrender unconditionally. Are we going to do that perfectly? Absolutely not. But we can do it over and over. And say, oh Lord, I recognize I've been pushing against you rather than drawing near to you. And just turn around and once again say, I surrender. Put, put that second slide up. The war is over. Japan surrenders. And then it says on top, MacArthur named boss. We need to ask ourselves, who's boss? Who have we given control of our lives to? Because peace is found not by living according to certain principles. Peace is found not by, by just doing the right thing. Peace is found in relationship, in connection with Christ. And I've mentioned so many times before, there are times prone to, to anxiety. I, and it, it particularly hits me at night. And I could be laying there, I might wake up in the middle of the night or not be able to go to sleep. And, and all of a sudden my mind begins to race. 
Ever happened to any of you? And I, I begin to, to anticipate what might happen tomorrow, or I'm, I'm thinking about what happened today or yesterday. And, and all of a sudden, I'm trying to figure out how to, how to do this, how to do life, how to make things work well. And I have to just take my heart and my mind in hand and deliberately say, oh, Lord, I, just, I, I push aside my attempt to be in control and fix everything because I'm not the Savior. I'm not the rescuer. You are. Lord, I push it aside. And I get my eyes off of tomorrow or yesterday, and I look to you. And as I do that, God is my judge. As we do that, coming into his presence, there's a palpable peace that comes when we're in his presence. It's the aroma of Christ. And usually about a minute or two later, the reels are running again. And once again, oh, Lord, I turn my focus to you. And as I do that over and over again, over time, over the years, there's become a, a fairly well-worn path into his presence that has become familiar. But he is the Prince of Peace. He's the author of peace. And, and let me make, make this very clear. God's peace is not a reward that he gives when we do what he wants. That's not what I'm saying. He doesn't withhold peace when we don't do what he wants. Peace is what happens when we're with him. It's like a, an, uh, ever see a, a, a baby, an infant, maybe a, a month old, who's hungry and, and is crying and flailing around, and then the mother takes that infant, puts it to her breast, begins to nurse, and the infant just quiets down immediately. It's not in any words that that infant becomes quiet. It's by that connection relationally with mom. As we connect with Jesus, the person of Christ, we find this peace. And let me say, for those who, who tend to be performance orientation, who performance oriented, who think that I, I need to first be good and, and behave well and, and stop some of these behaviors and attitudes that I see in my life, and then I'll be acceptable to come close to God. It doesn't work that way. It's not how perfect we are that enables us to have this intimacy. It's not how perfect we are that, that God responds by giving us this, this invitation. It's the slightest movement towards him. It's like in that parable of the prodigal son in Luke chapter 15, where the son had rebelled against his father, went off, squandered his, his inheritance, rebelled entirely against his father and his father's purposes, and then comes to his senses and, and wants to go back to his father. If you read that story, it says as the son was approaching the father's house, but he was still a long way off. The father saw him. And what did he do? Did he say, well, let's see what he's going to do this time? No. It says the father saw this, his child a long way off, and he ran to him and embraced him and blessed him. What's important isn't how perfect you're doing right now. What's important is, are you moving towards Christ, or are you moving away from Christ? And with the slightest motion towards Jesus today, or any day, Jesus comes and brings his relational presence to us, which accompanies his peace. Why don't you stand up? Here's how I want to end today. There's, there's been offered us a treaty of peace, a new covenant, but there are some here today who are, are still going our own way, who are purposely saying, no, I don't want what you have for me, God. And, and in, in a couple of minutes, I'm going to give you an opportunity to just turn around and say, 
I surrender. I, I give up. And just allow God to begin to restore what, what you lack, that peace inside. Some here today are trying to find peace by, by the things of this world, counterfeit ways. If I can get enough stuff, if I can get the right job, if I can have that perfect relationship, then I'll have peace. And I want to give you an opportunity to stop trying to find peace by the things of this world. But we find peace by learning how to draw near to the person of Christ. Not by being religious. By drawing near to the person of Christ. And finally, there are people here today who are trying to first fix yourself before you draw near to God. And you're so performance-oriented in all that you do. And I'm going to give you an opportunity just to stop and turn and make that one little motion towards Jesus so he can meet you. So we are all ready. We're going to, we're going to finish up with some worship. But whether you're pushing away from God, whether you're trying to earn his, that relationship, or perhaps you're trying to find peace by things of this world, by figuring it out yourself, I want to invite you to come forward. Because God wants to bring peace and grace in this moment for you. Why don't you come forward? Let's make sure that everybody that comes up has someone praying for them. You come up right now. and related to that, those reels that you run in your mind where you're concerned about tomorrow, where you're rehearsing of, of events that will take place, where you're trying to figure out what you should have done yesterday, I want to invite you to come forward and allow God to begin to bring a peace that only He can bring to meet you in those anxious thoughts and those anxious moments. Come on up.
we just acknowledge that we, we see the residue of the, the brokenness in this world and it affects us. We acknowledge even within ourselves, we see, still see uh, that, our, that our own flesh can actively either push away from you or try to earn your love, try to fix our lives. Lord, today we just say we surrender. We surrender to your presence, to a peace that goes beyond the circumstances. Father, come, show us your grace, show us your love. Father, won't you come and just manifest a grace that goes beyond understanding. Father, we ask that as we approach this, this Christmas season, that we would be captured by that announcement made by the angels, that peace has now come. But it's peace that is resting and manifested in you, in a person not in behavior, not in understanding, but you are our peace. Come and capture us, Jesus. Show us your love. Show us your grace. And now may the God of peace, who brought again from the dead our Lord Jesus, equip you with everything you need to do his will. May he produce in you, through the power of Jesus Christ, all that is necessary to please him. Jesus is the great shepherd of the sheep, and he has made an everlasting covenant, signed in with his blood. And to him be glory forever and ever. And all of God's people said, Amen. God bless you all. Let God show you his peace by showing you more and more of himself. We'll see you next Sunday.